Hello and welcome to the birthday party of Mental Notes from my minivan podcast. Today my baby is one. One year ago, today, I just got the bloody thing done. And I recorded my first episode of Mental Notes from my minivan. And now a year later, I'm here. I didn't plan it actually to be on the anniversary, but that's how cool this is. A year later, I'm here to announce what I teased last time, that it is time for the baby to grow up a little bit and to progress. And that is why I'm so excited to announce that um, OneInchPressScary.com has launched. And that is to um, launch... Um, my new endeavor, my new business, which will be One Inch Past Scary Life Coaching. So I just feel like um, this has been an amazing and perfect year to have a podcast. It's been uh, the beginning of the end of my the treatment um, that I've received has sort of really come into fruition in this last year. And that has looked like a lot of... Um, Gosh, that looked like a lot of mayhem and chaos a lot of the time because things were starting to be taken apart and dismantled as I discovered new boundaries, as I discovered things that I needed to change about my life. And that really can be painful and um, dramatic, and it often was, which is really why I'm glad that I have a record of it because it's um, – it's one for the books, to be honest, but I wouldn't have had the emotional energy to, to write a blog at that time. And I'm so grateful that I had the podcast as a, both a means of creative expression and also as a way of um, being able to see my own progress. I had a very lofty goal that I would be helping other people. And um, by sharing my journey at that time, and honestly, it's a matter of physician heal thyself. And I feel like it's been it was way more therapeutic for me rather than for anybody else. I was incredibly gratified and also very motivated, and I had the accountability of knowing that people were listening, and they were telling me that it was helping them. And not just them, um, people were telling me it was helping them to understand members of their family who were experiencing depression or addiction or um, PTSD or um, anxiety or any of the things that they personally weren't experiencing but could now better understand because I was speaking um, from it often during a place of, of having just come out of a very raw experience. Um, or even when I was in it. And so that was helpful, and it was um, certainly it was motivating to me to keep going during those times, and it was also an accessible way for me to keep going um, because I just had to open my mic and have at it. But um, I feel that I'm at a place now that I can disconnect somewhat from my own drama, my own story. Um, I have put enough... Um, in its proper place now to have to feel that I'm ready to move on, that I'm ready to leave all that behind, that I've uh, restructured my life in much healthier ways, that my boundaries have been drawn, that I've um, found a more authentic and peaceful way um, to live my life, and I'm ready to move on with the next chapter, which means that I have freed up a significant amount of energy to use all the things that I've learned to be able to help people wherever they are. So not necessarily in a place of um, 
um, complex PTSD or PTSD or depression or anxiety, but people who are just struggling with everyday insecurities, uh, limiting beliefs that come from um, seemingly kind of innocuous experiences from their past, their childhood fears that um, they didn't even realize they had that are sort of blocking them or causing them unnecessary resistance and making um, them make things far harder for themselves than necessary. And I am an expert at making life harder for myself than it has to be. And I've really started to um, understand that so much better in the last year and be able to use all the resources and all the tools that I've gathered over the last 20 years of trying to figure out what ailed me and how to get better and now really apply them to my life so that I have a ton more energy to help others wherever it is that they are. And so that's where One Enterprise Scary Life Coaching um, comes into play. And I just feel like when you are ready, people who can help you and the universe, and don't roll your eyes at this because however you express it, it is true that we'll provide. We'll provide the right people and the right opportunities. And I have had many opportunities over the years um, to do different things that have prepared me for this now. Um, I wasn't prepared to be a life coach in a deliberate way, one-on-one -on -one with people before. But I've dealt with um, people in many capacities um, of empowerment and encouragement and um uh, helping them to sort of tap into what they already had as a um, personal trainer, as a birth educator, a prenatal and birth doula, um, which is a sort of a childbirth coach, for want of a better expression, um, and advocate. Um, I have taught people for years in so many different capacities. I've presented to people. I love public speaking, so this podcast was a wonderful way to get um, – that is scratched, and I'm so excited to do more of it, to be available for um, speaking engagements, to be able to um, address people um, as groups and facilitate seminars and to do more of the things that I love to do, like teaching and and helping people, uh, really tailoring things for people wherever they are in their lives um, to get past the resistance that they might think is insurmountable and to go just one inch past scary, not huge amounts of scary, not huge leaps that seem so overwhelming and horrifying and completely um, out of reach, but just to do small, deliberate um, building blocks toward living the kind of life you want to live and, and feeling energized when you wake up and feeling like you're making a difference and having a sense of purpose fulfilled. And so I'm so thrilled that um, Tamika Sears, my friend who is um, a very successful HR manager of a large company, also has a consulting business, which is um, Sears corporate coaching and her partner Eric Franco and her have graciously invited me to be a part of the softer side of Sears um, by doing the life coaching portion. So I'm so thrilled that I get to do that and that they have um, brought me on board. So grateful to Samika. Um, you can go to onehpriscary.com and you can find out all the things that I offer. Um, I just launched the site yesterday, so this might be a little glitchy, but there certainly is a way to contact me um, and we can look at an exploratory um, sort of chat that we can have. Uh, and you can also access 
um, my blog, which I'm resurrecting, that every time that I do a podcast, I will have an accompanying blog post. And I'm also, if you're not loving um, the recording quality on the podcast right now, which will continue, by the way, it will still be available on all 10 platforms and more as they're available to me. I'm also recording every podcast for a YouTube video, and you might find that the quality is better there. It also helps me if you go over to YouTube that you like, subscribe, and um, share it with your friends. Even if you don't want to gaze at me while you're listening to me, you can just have it playing in the background. Uh, the sound quality can be better. Um, it's my intention that um, out of every one of my half hour-ish podcasts, I do shorter uh, YouTube videos where I really isolate a couple of uh, concepts or tips that I cover so that you can just watch those. And those will also be posted on my page. So there will be blog, a way to contact me for coaching opportunities, for speaking opportunities, for um, seminar opportunities because I speak so good. And, <laughs> and also you will be able to read my blog. Um, like you did in the past. So it's all going to be there. And as you can tell, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited. And I'm really excited that you can see the progress that can be made in a year. I certainly was able to do um, a lot of work prior to this year, but you were very much privy to it in this last very dramatic year. And to see, you know, that year was somewhat rough in lots of places, but now um, I'm ready to go in a way I've been waiting for for a very long time. And I'm very excited to have you along for the ride. So without further ado, today I want to talk about one of the ways that I've learned um, to get myself back on track when I was getting derailed into negative thought, um, into a, like a negative thought spiral. And I call it um, the rumination, the ruination that can lead from rumination. I'm really tongue-tying myself today. Um, Rumination is basically um, a fancy way of saying thinking about bad things and then adding to them and just getting on this loop, this downward spiral thinking loop until you are a complete, you're in such a state. And it can lead to depression and it can really make um, a bad day a lot worse and a good day bad. And I was a specialist in rumination. I was so hardwired for rumination. I'm not sure if that was from birth um, or if it was trauma related, but whatever it is, I did finally learn how to intercept rumination and to um, introduce different habits and different responses to what I used to spend a ton of time doing, which was doing me absolutely no favors. And I know so many people, I catch people ruminating all the time because I know what it looks like so, so well from my own personal experience. I'm just checking to see if this podcast is still running. It is. Okay. So um, rumination, this is how it used to look for me. I'm going to give you an, ex an example of how it, it used to look for me. And actually, before I get started, I keep seeing my dog wandering around in the background. So this is it's giving me an idea that, that the ruminating brain is kind of like a dog, um, a powerful, big dog like mine. Um, off of its leash, an energetic dog, undisciplined dog, off of its leash, and it can you know, get into a lot of trouble. And getting control of the ruminating brain is basically like being somebody who knows how to discipline a dog and keep a dog walking nicely next to it 
on a leash and, you know, they can enjoy each other's company. And when um, possible threats come, like other big dogs who want to cause something or a truck drives by and they have to keep them safe, um, you as the owner can feel really confident that everything's going to be okay. So I want to help you to figure out how to take your brain from being the crazy dog off of a leash and you're the owner running after it going, no, 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 to um, just being a really nice companion for you that you've got control over. And you might be like, okay, cool, let's see how this goes because your brain might feel like it's completely out of hand all the time. And I want to, before I even get into, further into the state that this um, this is – so ruminating is different from having intrusive thoughts, okay? It's very different from having um, the intrusive thoughts that come about um, as part of the package of PTSD and complex PTSD and even um, obsessive-compulsive disorder when you have those intrusive, unbidden, repetitive thoughts that you can't get out of. Um, Ruminating is when you latch onto one thought that sort of comes into your brain and then you expand on that thought and you spiral. If you are having intrusive thoughts that you're just sort of going about your business and then there's a trigger that you're not even aware of and a thought, an intrusive thought comes or even the accompanying physical emotion, uh, physical sensation that comes from a past trauma or you're struggling with obsessive compulsive thoughts and behaviors, this is um, this is not addressing that, and that does need therapy. That needs um, specific types of therapy. OCD needs specific type of therapy, and um, PTSD needs trauma-based therapy. Um, but even those people ruminate in addition to those things. And we all, I think, have had experiences with rumination. Some people are very much more inclined to it and more wired for it. As I said, my, myself, my husband is not inclined to rumination. But even he has had moments, I'm sure, where he's ruminated. And so I want to help you when you find yourself getting into this or if you're very much in the habit to figure out how to break this habit. Okay. And get your dog back on the leash and walking heel, 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 heel. Okay. So um, I would wake up in the morning and because um, this was before I would um, – I understood – much about what ailed me in terms of PTSD. My subconscious brain was um, super diligently trying to take care of the trauma that I that my conscious brain wasn't willing and able to address at that time. And here's an, another little side note. Um, when it comes to trauma, you've got to pay the piper. It has to be dealt with. Or the piper will be paid in some way, um, subconsciously, in behaviors that you don't even understand, um, in triggers that you don't even know, in, in ways that you're acting out that you're not even aware of. The piper will be paid. Trauma does not just go away. It doesn't just evaporate, as sad as that is, which is why, you know, it is very sad and it is problematic. Um, but it has to be dealt with. And the best way to deal with it is head on through therapy so that it can stop being dealt with every day. But it will... Um, manifest either in your body or mind or behaviors every single day. And that's just the bummer reality of it. So at that time, my subconscious was like, I got this. Since you guys aren't going to deal with it, my subconscious was like, I guess I got it. So it was always, always, always dreaming, right? I was having these super distressing dreams all the time, not knowing that they were actually related to trauma. So when I did um, 
remember them. I didn't make the connections. But frequently, I wouldn't remember them. I would just wake up, and my physical body was having a response to the trauma that I was experiencing in my dream. Now, the thing about your physical body is that it doesn't know the difference between a dream and real. Right. And we all know that because we anyone who's woken up from a nightmare in a cold sweat with their heart racing as if they really are running away from that axe murderer or saving their family from an avalanche or whatever. And they're having those physical stress responses knows that your physical body isn't smart enough to realize, wait, wait, that's happening in that realm. It's not necessary to run your safe in bed. It just has the same responses because of evolution. It's primal. It's just what happens. And we're only supposed to have those um, cortisol stress responses for like 90 seconds at a time because cortisol is actually super, super helpful when you're running away from a bear or you're confronting a lion or you're hiding or attacking a um, man with a uh, uh, chainsaw or whatever. It's helpful. It gives you strength. It's a fight or flight response. But it's not helpful when it's constantly being pumped out in our lives every day just because we're having um, emotional stress responses. So once those uh, 90 seconds of cortisol, initial cortisol have been pumped out and you can intercept and say, hold on, wait, um, not actually um, a this doesn't really warrant, warrant a bear attack kind of um, hormone release. Uh, you're going to find yourself a lot more healthy and less anxiety prone. And just in general, your health is going to be better. Um, your appearance is going to be better. Everything's going to be better because cortisol takes its toll. It's not supposed to be constantly pumped. And in a lot of our lives, too often to unexplored um, or unexplored you know, unresolved issues, and also to rumination, we're using up a ton more cortisol than we need to be. So what will happen, I'd wake up in a state of high um, physical anxiety. I was dealing with something in my subconscious related to trauma, re-experiencing re, um, it, and body was like, we're ready to go, hide, run, fight, whatever. But I, conscious brain, was like, what's this? Kirsty is waking up. I've noted she's got a very elevated heart rate, clammy palms, sick feeling in the stomach, nauseated. Something is very wrong. Now, here's what you need to know about your brain. It's so efficient. It loves order. And you might say, not my brain, not my brain. I do not have an orderly brain. Well, the mechanics of your brain really do like order. They do not like things to be discordant. They don't like things to not make sense. Okay? So your brain likes to what it sees and what your physical body is telling it to line up. It likes it. Just like you don't like to hang out with a friend who you thought was sane and awesome, and then suddenly they start talking about the green grass being red. You're like, yo, there's a problem here. You're not going to be super comfortable with that person telling you about the red grass. You're going to be like, you need help, fella. Something's not right, right? It's The brain's the same way. It's like, look. She is acting like her like physical body here is saying there's something, 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 something is super wrong. And so I'm going to scan. All right, this room, I see no threat. No man in a corner with a chainsaw. No impending um, bear attack. Uh, doesn't appear to be a tornado. Everybody's safe and sound, sleeping in beds. No fire. What the hell? What the hell? 
So then next thing, it's like, okay, got to make sense of this. I'm on it. I'm on it. So it starts to go back through your last 24 hours. That's my what my brain did anyway, and will be it will try to find anything to make sense of this physical emotion. Now this all happens in a split second, right? Um, it's thinking, okay, what could what could this be? What could this be? Aha! First thing. All right, I remember yesterday when she was at preschool drop-off. Um, she uh, said something to her friend, and her friend acted really weird, and um, she's had a bad taste in her mouth ever since. In fact, her friend like sort of was short with her and then she looked over her shoulder at the other friend and I bet you neither of those friends like her. And then the brain's like, okay, look, that's a bit of an extreme response. Why is she acting like it's the end of the world? Oh, wait, wait, I'll tell you why it's the end of the world, the, uh, the brain will say. Look, because if they don't like her, then her kids are going to stop being invited to like family gatherings and then the kids are going to be without friends and that's so sad like they don't deserve that and a good mother is going to facilitate you know good relationships um, in the community for her kids and a nice social setting and you know without friends the kids are going to get depressed and they're going to follow her sad sort of pattern of depression and they too are going to be depressed and she is really just a bad mom she's messing up everything for everybody and the brain's like well okay look that does seem bad that seems bad. Yeah, you know, if you're a bad mom and you are just taking your your innocent, sweet family down with you because you're so bad at making and keeping friends, then, oh, my gosh, like you really don't have a purpose in life. You should be really depressed. You should be really disappointed in yourself. And then I'd be like lying in bed feeling so down on myself and so paralyzed. Now, this is I'm giving you this very crazy like example because. Maybe you've had a similarly crazy example, or maybe um, not. Um, I'm just telling you, I've been here, and this is this is like how ridiculous the whole thing can can happen. So then I'm lying in bed, feeling mm, just so bad about myself that I get up too late to get everybody to school on time. So then they're late for school and they're all upset. And that, oh, the brain loves it. They love it when their cognitive bias is confirmed. So they're like, told you, told you, told you, told you, you're a bad mom. And that just proves it. You can't even get your bloody kids to school on time. And now they're all distressed. So then I come home and I'm so depressed because the kids didn't get to school on time. Also, I messed up their social life. And um, now the house is a mess. And I'm just so overwhelmed and depressed and down on myself that I don't have the energy to clean it. I just lie around all day. Then they come home to a chaotic house. More cognitive bias is confirmed she is a bad mom further proof look at these kids coming home to this disheveled mess of a house she can't do anything right that leads to more lying in bed late and then the whole thing snowballs until in fact i am becoming a subpar mom because i'm not interacting with my kids i'm snapping at them because i'm feeling so bad about myself and you know it's this horrible stupid vicious cycle and come you know come to find out or not find out that this rumination was totally in vain. It had nothing to do with the friend that the, the day before. My paranoia and the rumination accompanying it, the friend was acting distracted and looking over my shoulder at her kid possibly about to run into the road. It had literally nothing to do with me. But my rumination has made it so I'm so defensive. Now, when I see the friend, I'm cold and cool to her, and she's like, what the hell's up with her? So she, uh, you know where this is going. There was a that was a weird and ridiculous example. It sort of popped into mind because when my kids were little like that, I was constantly having experiences like that. I was 
always, always ruminating about how things were going wrong with my own social circle and maybe I was affecting my kids. So that's a weird example, but something for you might be, okay, you're not having a trauma-based dream, but you are waking up and you've got an icky feeling and you suddenly realize, ah, oh, it's because I haven't tested and study or prepare for sufficiently today. And I guess I'm a loser because I didn't do that. I'm going to flunk this test. Not only am I going to flunk this test, but it means my GPA is going to tank. And that means I'm going to lose my scholarship. I'm going to have to drop out of college. Family is going to definitely be disappointed in me and they're going to abandon me eventually. Everybody's going to give up on me. I'm going to end up under a bridge. I'm going to actually be homeless. I might be homeless within a year. I, I can see it because I didn't take the time. I watched too many episodes of Game of Thrones and now I'm going to flunk the test. And so you go from um, a small anxiety, which is warranted, to an actual real like threat to your sense of security, which does warrant right? That kind of cortisol explosion. I, you know, Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is not being met. If I have to live under a bridge, so then you're really freaked out and depressed. Then you're like, I just can't cope. I just can't cope. You're having a, you're having an anxiety attack and you certainly are not going to do very well on your test. If, if at all you get out of bed, if you are capable of getting out of bed at all at that point, um, the distraction and the amount of cortisol in your bloodstream is going to not be very conducive to taking a test and remembering the few things that you did actually study. So all this to say rumination does nobody any favors. It's not a good way to go. And there are some easy ways to sort of interrupt rumination and have better responses. And it all starts with in both cases, you wake up and you are identifying a physical emotion. If you can identify the physical sensation, not the physical emotion, the physical sensation before um, and get a control of it and have a similar balancing physical response to it um, before that dog can run off leash down the road and have a fight with another dog and you know it's a whole thing um you're going to be way better off and so i'm going to tell you some ways you can do that first of all um when you wake up or whenever this, this rumination starts be aware of the sensations in your body what are you feeling and just very dispassionately um examine where the, these feelings are starting so maybe um i know and i've been able to tell my therapist um when i'm triggered in a way that relates to my childhood abuse and i get um a choked feeling in my throat i say my my throat's closing and then we know that my um that whatever i'm dealing with is directly related to my childhood trauma and we can sort of really short circuit uh, and go straight to that and not sort of parse apart what happened at the grocery store we can really get into that but um other things um that might be happening to you is that you you, you get a feeling sick feeling in your stomach right or you find that you're clenching your fists or you're clenching your jaw or your heart is going really fast or your, your palms are getting clammy. So you can notice these things before you've started to spiral into thought patterns. You're noticing my body is reacting in a weird way. Why is my body reacting in a weird way? And what can I do to combat the cascade of hormones that is going to tell me that I'm in trouble and going to 
make a whole big mountain out of a molehill. What can I do? And this is what you can do. Okay, first of all, you can take five deep breaths or even three or even one if that's all you can muster. But try to make it closer to five. Um, when people say deep breath and you don't listen, you really should be listening. <laughs> take a deep breath. You really should. The reason why people tell you to do that is because when you um, – you know, everything goes back to evolution and primal times. Um, when you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger, there is no way for you to be sleep breathing. I refer to it as sleep breathing. You can't breathe slowly and restfully and fully fill your lungs in a restful way and also be running away from a threat. Or you cannot fight a person and also be breathing really slowly and deeply. Um, those two things cannot combine. So if you respond to your body's stress response and cortisol getting ready to pump out into that bloodstream by saying, actually, body, no, 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 we're sleeping now. And you fake it out by doing sleep breathing and sleep breathing, um, which is what I coin um, for breathing in to a count of four and then out to a count of eight. And if you don't have the capacity, the lung capacity to do that yet, do it into a count of three and out to a count of six, just as long as the exhalation is twice as long as the inhalation. You're going to be fine. You're going to bring down your heart rate. You're going to fool your body and your brain into thinking everything's fine. And then you're actually going to feel a lot better. The second thing is um, if you're inclined to have your phone next to you when you wake up in the morning and um, that's the first thing you do and you feel nervous. And so it's kind of a it's what is it? It's, a, it's your stress response. It's your security blanket to grab your phone to distract yourself. You need to be real about the fact that it's actually a numbing behavior. And whatever is upsetting you now is going to have to be addressed at some point. So you may as well do it. You may as well um, address it in a much more constructive way than looking at your phone. And I'll tell you why your phone is a bad idea. Because, again, with this cognitive bias, if you're in a triggered state, Okay, so if you're in a triggered state, um, everything that you see on your phone, everything that you um, see on social media, in the news, uh, even in your email, everything you receive via text is going to come in with that filter, with that triggered filter on. And your brain, with its desire to make your physical sensations make sense, is going to look at everything that might be in your Facebook feed to confirm how bad you're feeling. Um, if you're like, no, I only follow fun, nice things on Instagram. If you're feeling inadequate, instead of feeling uplifted and distracted in a nice, pleasant way from the fun, nice things on Instagram, you might well, you're much more likely to, to make them confirm, well, my life is really lacking in some way or I'm lacking in some way because my life's not looking like that. Um, also, you just have so little control over what you're going to see. You're putting your control for your day and your mood. And our mood at the beginning of the day is strong, is a huge predictor of how the day is going to go for us. So you're putting that solely in control. You're putting just 
random strangers or friends or whatever in the driver's seat of your mood for the day and your response for the day. And especially if you're in a triggered state, you're just kind of really vulnerable and allowing whatever you see, whatever might be there when you open your phone to allow this rumination to just go crazy. That dog's going to run straight down the street under a car or get in a fight with another big dog. It's going to be a mess. There's a very good chance of that. So I really encourage not to have your phone next to your bed. It's been a habit of mine forever, and I use my phone um, as an alarm. Um, and, you know, none of us need to do that. Alarm clocks do still exist. I checked Amazon. They have them. They're cute. There's some that like act like the rising sun, and it's a really nice way to wake up. But if you must have your phone in your room for whatever reason, I'm not going to tell you you can't. I'm not your mom. I have so many kids, and I can't even get them to keep their phones out of their room. Um, I'm going to suggest, though, that you move it to a place not within arm's reach, so it's not that kind of impulse and that habit when you're already feeling triggered. That if you have to, if you start yourself in a rumination and you have to get up to get to your phone, at least your feet are on the ground. Because rumination also encourages you to stay paralyzed and in one spot. And that spot is often your bed. And if you start to feel discouraged and depressed, as my therapist has told me, depression will always tell you to cover your head. And it's always going to lead to more depression when you do that. It's not a good thing to cover your head. It's better to get out of bed. And so get your phone away from you. If you really like to have, a, you like to begin your day with your phone in your hand and it's too hard to um, cut that habit, then at least have something that you can queue up that is definitely safe and affirming and positive and motivating and encouraging and reassuring. So I have, you know, audible books that I know are um, good and safe and comforting and motivating for me when these moments come. And I really do feel like it would be helpful to me to have a reset from an external source. I don't go on Facebook. I don't even check my texts because I just am in a vulnerable place when I first wake up and I need to be able to set my own mood or get myself off of the rumination train. The rumination ruination train is a bad, bad way to start the day. So I'll have an audible or I'll have, um, if you want to just go on YouTube and find, um, you know, motivational, there's so many of those compilations to motivate you to start your day right. Uh, some of them are better than others. You know, listen to a TED Talk. Those don't usually um, steer me wrong, that kind of thing, have some safe way to go. But social media or the news or even checking your text is not a good way to avoid um, spiraling from rumination. Another thing that you can do is once you're aware of your physical sensations um, and, and you're responding with a like physical response, which is that, that deep, deep breathing um, is do a stretch, exaggerate yawns, um, release your hands. When I um, would coach a woman through childbirth, I would be very sure that they understood something called um, the fear-pain-tension cycle, the tension-pain-fear cycle, or all three of those can be exchanged because they're a cycle. And um, what happens is when you're feeling pain, your body's automatic response is to be tense, and tension leads to more pain, which leads to fear because either you tell your body is like, Oh crap, what's going on? Why am I in pain? This is scary. Or it's in the next contraction, you're afraid of it, so you're tensing up, so you have more pain, and that leads to more fear. So to intercept um, 
more pain and more fear. What we can control is the tension. And so I would look and see, I would act as the, um, sort of the lookout to see where tension was starting to build before the moms were even aware of it. And I would constantly remind them, relax your hands, relax your thighs, relax your jaw. And if you do an exaggerated yawn, you can, again, also con your body into thinking everything's okay. So the breathing, the yawning, making sure your hands are not balled up into fists, that your jaw is not I will sometimes see myself in the mirror when I'm feeling really tense and be amazed at how prominent my jaw is and be like shocked that my teeth haven't crumbled out of my head yet because I'm gritting my teeth so much. You've got to be really tuned into those physical manifestations because they will be your best friend if you can look at them and quickly undo them before the brain can catch sight of them and be like, what's this now? What's this? What is this problem we've got? What more problems do we have? and get you into a whole big spiral in a depression or an anxiety attack or just a bad mood. So um, pay attention to the body, uh, responding kind with big, deep breaths, yawns, stretches, and really going out of your way to, to relax. Um, I have started having a, um, a response to depression or anxiety or disassociation that people often experience when they have PTSD is just, okay, I can I can come back to this and I can think about it again in five minutes, but I'm going to get on my yoga mat and I'm going to do um, just, you know, one or two vinyasas. I'm going to go through a cycle of downward dog and, and salutation to the sun and I'm going to feel okay um, enough to revisit this when I'm done. And I almost never have to. I am almost always ready to let it go. I just feel perfectly fine. So you can do a little bit of exercise. If you can change, uh, like I said, you know, if you can change your scenery, get out of bed, even better is getting outside. Having a deep breath by getting outside can really cut into that sort of rumination cycle. You can do that. Um, another thing that people don't think of nearly as often as they should is that when we wake up or at any time during the day, we're most likely to be dehydrated. People are so often dehydrated and it's the last thing they think of. Um, as what ails them. They'll think of anything else. They'll think, I'm hungry. Usually, they'll think they'll mistake being thirsty for being hungry. I'm tired. I'm angry. I need to pick a fight with somebody. <laughs> or, um, you know, I, I need pot. I need alcohol. I need any other kind of drug. I, I, I need something. Whereas if you would respond to your body, um, its cue is I'm thirsty because the body will die first without water long before it will die without food and often it sends a kind of anxious eh, niggly feeling that we do not internalize as that's just thirst so the best thing you can do if you're inclined to ruminate especially in the morning is to have a big uh bottle of water next to your bed or even a glass of water i keep a bottle of water next to my bed and i can tell you that if i do not have one and i do not drink first thing in the morning it really the likelihood of my day going badly and my mood being very poor like is goes through the roof. I need to drink water. Um, I'm easily dehydrated because of physical um, conditions I have. But if I don't drink water, my anxiety starts to really manifest. And so have a glass of water is just good for everything. Um, it's also a good sort of distraction. You know, when people in the movies are really distraught and people bring in a glass of cold water, it's, it's, it's a way to calm you down. Uh, again, you're not drinking water in a calm and deliberate way when you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger. Fool your body into knowing 
that everything is actually going to be okay by doing things deliberately like that, taking care of it, drinking water. Sometimes you just need some protein in you. I've seen people go from completely speaking in a suicidal way to being like, okay, I think I can manage this once their blood sugar is boosted just a little bit. I've experienced that myself. Everything is absolutely out of control, terrible. And then I eat or you know, drink some water, eat a little bit, and suddenly it's a little bit more manageable or significantly more manageable. So these are things you can do. You can make sure that you're not putting yourself in the hands of the Internet when you're on this rumination train. You can catch the physical. The first thing that you need to do is catch the physical sensations and address them with likewise physical sensations, taking deep breaths, telling your cortisol and your stress responses from freaking caveman days to calm the heck down. Nobody's dying here today. And the thing is, is that it is never a life or death situation. You will ruminate yourself into thinking it is, but nothing other than an actual life or death situation, other than being attacked by a wild animal or a person with a chainsaw or a knife or a gun or, you know, whatever we know consciously can threaten our life is a life or death situation. Everything else you can find a solution for. There are so many solutions in this world. Even if you are about to flunk out of college or you are going to lose your job or you don't have any friends or your kids don't have friends, there are always things that can happen and be dealt with and alternatives and people to help. So the number of times that you will tell your body will tell you in one day that it's a life or death situation or completely is completely out of proportion and you need to remind it and yourself that practically nothing is life or death. Nothing is as serious as we think it is. Saber-toothed tiger in your living room? Yes, very serious. All the cortisol, you need it. But most other things, no. You're much better off calming the frick down and using physical responses to say, I'm good. Thanks, brain. We got this. We do not have to ruminate. We do not have to spiral. Issue at hand, taking a deep breath, taking a few deep breaths, drinking a glass of water, listening to something uplifting, changing my scenery, getting outdoors for a deep breath, um, maybe having a small snack. This, this has changed my life. It is as simple and stupid as you can think, and that is why it is so important for us all to master, and it has changed my life. It has made everything I learn in therapy so much more effective when we don't have to unravel the 10-minute rumination that I had at the beginning of the day every time I go to therapy. We can just get to work on what's really bugging me. I have um, been a much more present mother and wife and friend um, now that I know how to keep my brain dog on its leash. Um, we all like a well-behaved dog so much more than we like a wild one. So, you know, it's worth the investment. It really, really is in these very simple things. And at first it's going to feel awkward. Dogs do not become disciplined overnight. I used um, I use a little sort of technique with my dog that I keep trying to teach my kids because nobody likes taking him for a walk because he, he acts up with him because they don't discipline in, him in the same way. And um, when I first started to walk him, I would not just pull on the leash, but if he was misbehaving, I would nudge him hard with my knee to show him I meant business. And at the same time, I would make a little clicking sound. And very, very quickly, I graduated to not having to pull or nudge at all. I would just have to go, no, no. When I saw something coming up ahead, I would 
be sure to interrupt whatever he had in mind with clicking so that he knew, okay, she really needs me to stay close. And that's worked out great. I like walking the dog way more than everybody else does. <laughs> the same thing with your brain. These techniques will help you keep it under check and you can have some nice, fun times together and really enjoy your life so much more. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being part of this last year. Thank you for being along for the ride. The mental notes in my minivan. I'm now getting out of my minivan, getting to business. One inch past scary. We're going to have so much fun together. Please stay tuned and I will talk to you next week right here. Take care.